Hello and welcome to another edition of the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm Nick Galetti and with me is Jared Riddick from Book of Mormon Central. Glad to be here. And we also have a special guest with us here to talk about not only the subject matter of our article for this episode, but more specifically, the actual author of the article. So uh, we want to welcome Stephen Smoot. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we are going to be talking about an article called Warfare in the Book of Mormon, and it was published by Farms in 1991. But we're also kind of making this episode or in memory of William J. Hamblin or Bill Hamblin, who died December 10th, 2019. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to start out with uh, with a little bit of an obituary and take it away. Great. Thanks, Nick. This was uh, written the day after Bill died uh, when we received news. Uh, we had prepared this statement on behalf of Book of Mormon Central, and we felt like this would be an appropriate place to read it and to reflect on uh, Bill's career. So I'll go ahead and read that and then uh, maybe talk a little bit about my own experience uh, with Bill. William Bill James Hamblin, an emeritus professor of history at Brigham Young University, former board member of the Foundation for Ancient Research and Mormon Studies, and noted Book of Mormon scholar, passed away on December 10, 2019, at age 65. Hamblin, whose area of academic expertise was the ancient and medieval Middle East, earned a bachelor's degree in history from Brigham Young University, as well as master's degrees in history and Near Eastern studies and a PhD in history from the University of Michigan. In 1989, he joined the faculty of BYU in the history department. Previous to his teaching at BYU, Hamblin taught history at the University of Southern Mississippi, was an instructor at Campbell University, and worked as a Middle East intelligence analyst for the United States Department of Defense. His academic work, as well as his work for the U.S. government, took him around the globe, particularly throughout the Middle East. Before his retirement from BYU in 2014, Hamblin distinguished himself as a scholar by publishing important works on, among other topics, ancient and medieval warfare in the Middle East, Solomon's Temple, and Islam. He also contributed articles to the International Military Encyclopedia and co-authored a college textbook on world history. In the realm of Book of Mormon scholarship and Latter-day Saint apologetics, Hamblin brought his academic training to bear with a pioneering volume which he co-edited with Stephen D. Ricks on Warfare in the Book of Mormon. Although published in 1990, Warfare in the Book of Mormon still remains, 30 years later, the standard treatment on the topic and an unforgettable piece of vintage farms. Hamblin also made a legacy for himself in the field of Latter-day Saint scriptural scholarship by contributing articles on archaeology and the Book of Mormon, reformed Egyptian, ancient writing on metal plates, and the question of a magic worldview influencing Joseph Smith, among other topics. Hamblin was, along with his close friend and BYU and Farms colleague Daniel C. Peterson, the co-author of a bi-weekly Deseret News column on religion and society and co-founder of the Interpreter Foundation, contributing an article in the inaugural issue of the Foundation's journal, Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, later renamed Interpreter, a Journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship. So that's the official obituary. Should we now just sort of yeah. transition into... Yeah, so at this point, yeah. you had some relationship with Bill Hamblin, and what was that? Yeah, so um, I guess on a more sort of personal note, uh, when I was an undergraduate at BYU, uh, I actually took uh, two different classes from Professor Hamblin. Uh, I took his World Civilization to A.D. 1500 and his uh, Ancient Near Eastern History to 330 B.C. classes. 
And in addition to that, I was also a research assistant of his for a semester. The thing that really stands out to me in my memory about uh, Bill, Professor Hamblin, maybe I should say, (laughs) uh, is I will remember him for his wit, for his humor, and for his sort of lovable curmudgeon with a heart of gold personality. I guess that's probably the, the best way to describe it. It's a solid way to do it. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, he wasn't ever really mean or nasty in the sense of, like, he would personally, you know, spite you or hate you or something. Uh, but he definitely had a sort of a curmudgeon sort of side to him. But it was a very affable and lovable sort of thing, right? A little salty. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, but in sort of a lovable way. So uh, that's what stands out to me. I, I, uh, I was able to help Professor Hamblin at a time uh, when the Interpreter Foundation was just getting, getting started. They had just published a few issues of, of the journal. So I was doing a lot of sort of the, the early legwork for him in some of those uh, early publications of the Interpreter Foundation. We both got recruited uh, by him as source checkers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, way back in the day. Just three or four of us trying, and we were just, we were source checking everything, and it was a desperate pace. Yes, that's right. Like, Try, yeah. Trying to keep up with it. That's exactly yeah. right. Weekly publication schedule is no joke. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. About when did that start? Uh, August 2012? Yeah, so uh, 2012 okay. is when the foundation started, and uh, a few of us, Jared and myself, and uh, our, our co-worker Neil Rapley, uh, and other sort of young, uh, at the time, undergraduate uh, college students, a friend of ours named Colby Townsend, for example, mm-hmm. uh, he, w- he he's now up at the University of Utah, he was uh, tapped to be a, a source checker. Um, so those are sort of the good old days. of yeah. the, the, early the days fancy of title they gave us? Editorial Consultant. Editorial Consultant. Yeah, yeah it looks good right. on resume, <laughs> it yeah. was, but it was grunt work. <laughs> it was fun. Important work. It was important work. That's right. So this particular article, we... We picked it because, as it was alluded to, this was a subject matter that he was an expert at. Mm-hmm. What other reasons did you pick this article for? It seemed like a good summary article for the scholarship he'd been involved in. I mean, he did a lot. Um, some truly incredible review essays in the old Farms Review. Uh, but this one really stood out to me. And this one is actually essentially a summary of the proceedings of the Warfare in the Book of Mormon volume that Stephen mentioned um, in his reading of the obituary. And it's about eight pages. You you got to read the full book. It's it's a fantastic book. Well, it's part of what name the book? Warf- part of. Warfare in the Book of Mormon. Well, this particular chapter is also called Warfare in the Book of Mormon. I think this is like the summary version. <laughs> this is of the, the this is the summary book. of okay. the book. Yeah. And um, but this this one is found in the Rediscovering the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it, which is a, a generally more accessible uh, farms volume. I think there was can't remember how many essays. Uh, just a few essays. I'm looking at it right now. There's uh, there's 23 in there. 23 essays. Okay. Uh, which is actually a small amount considering some of the longer, other, I mean, not longer, other farms books. I believe Re-Exploring the Book of Mormon has 85 uh, essays in it in a similar size volume. Yeah. Uh, but this is, it's a great essay. And uh, I think it holds up pretty pretty well. And this was published in 1991, as we brought out earlier. And so this is a good introduction, if you will, to his work and... It's approachable, but what is some of the things that it talks about? Warfare in the Book of Mormon is is an interesting subject in the light in light of how he brings out different mm-hmm. aspects of it. So, what are some of the unique things in this article that stand out to you? Uh, for me, I really enjoyed his emphasis on these are things, sometimes subtle things, uh, differences between the 18th and 19th century warfare that Joseph and his family would have been familiar with, that Martin Harris would have been familiar with as a veteran of the War of 1812. They would have known what that was like. 
they probably wouldn't have known what ancient warfare was like. And there are subtle differences between warfare with gunpowder and the ancient warfare the Book of Mormon relates. And Hamblin, using his expertise on ancient Near Eastern warfare, really brings some of those differences out. Well, um, he even it, it asserts that the warfare of these people in the Book of Mormon is, di- is still different than even what was happening in the Middle East at that time. Mm-hmm. That there's distinct differences. Between, uh, he, uh, Professor Hamblin uses Mesoamerican warfare as an example. Differences between Mesoamerican warfare and ancient Near Eastern warfare. Where the differences existed, yeah. they're there. And it, it does, it's very clear that he uses Mesoamerica as the mm-hmm. cultural association to, to the Book of Mormon peoples. How, how important is that connection? I think pretty important. Stephen, what do you think on that matter? Yeah, so um, being able to situate the warfare in the Book of Mormon in a plausible ancient New World setting, I believe, can go a long way in helping us establish a high degree of credibility of the text, you might say. In other words, if it can be shown that there are distinct and clear convergences or parallels between how warfare is depicted in the Book of Mormon and what we know about warfare in ancient Mesoamerica, that may not only help us better understand the text itself, but it may also help us uh, answer questions from those who may say, well, why don't we have evidence for this warfare or this type of warfare that's being described? We can say, well, we actually do. Uh, a, a piece that goes along nicely with this for our listeners to consider would be John L. Sorensen's article on a seasonal warfare in the Book of Mormon. He points out, just to quickly do a little sidebar, John Sorensen points out that Book of, Mo- Book of Mormon warfare is seasonal, meaning the Nephites tend to go to war at certain times of the year. Uh, this is consistent with known Mesoamerican practice, where you have to raise up your armies at certain times of the year when the men aren't busy growing, you know, crops. growing crops and yeah. yeah, and working in the yeah. fields and so forth. So, you know, these little things here, I think, can help us appreciate the text itself, but can also help uh, answer those objections or questions that people have about the historicity of the text. I was interested to see that I think he asserts that about a third of the Book of Mormon is actually kind of warfare-based. War. Yeah. I hadn't even really considered that. I hadn't That either. seems like a lot. And I mm-hmm. mean, we always think of, you know, the Alma stuff, but yeah. there really is 16. all over. Yeah. So this is, again, one of the areas where Bill Hamblin really did a lot of study. Did he ever express why he chose this area of study? Well, uh, from, from my understanding, from my recollection, uh, when I worked with him for a little bit and got to pick his brain about this, because of his broader academic background in ancient warfare and in the ancient Middle East, right? Uh, he, he would go on to, to publish a whole volume on this, uh, Warfare in the Ancient World from, to 1500 BC or something like that. As is naturally the case with many Latter-day Saint scholars, they usually start out with their primary academic training that's not necessarily related to the Book of Mormon, but they use that training and then they turn their attention to the Book of Mormon to see what their training or what their expertise might be able to illuminate about the book, if that makes sense. So yeah. I, my understanding uh, and my recollection of, of Bill is that he didn't start uh, saying, you know, I want to go study ancient warfare so that I can go and study warfare in the Book of Mormon. He started out just on his own studying ancient warfare in the Middle East, and then he took what he learned and he applied it to the Book of Mormon. So uh, from my understanding, that's why he got involved in this uh, line of research and why he was at the forefront of it, because he was one of the few people in the church uh, academically speaking, who was in a position to be able to do that. And this isn't the only thing in our archive from him. No, we're going to have a link at the, in the description where you can see all the Book of Mormon material that we have from Bill. And there is some good stuff. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get into a reading of this chapter of the book. And uh, again, thank you to Stephen for coming in and, and sharing your thoughts and 
and sharing that wonderful obituary about him. And again, we encourage people to check out the work in the archive as just kind of a way of remembering him and all the things that he contributed to the Latter-day Saint Scholarship. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Warfare in the Book of Mormon by William J. Hamblin, out of the book Rediscovering the Book of Mormon, published by Farms. The wars and battles described in the Book of Mormon include some of the most detailed narratives of the book. Those accounts provide us with an excellent chance to examine how consistent and complex the text is. Joseph Smith lived in an age of warfare with guns, yet the Book of Mormon displays patterns of warfare that made sense only before gunpowder was used. This can be seen in both the general patterns and in the tiny details of the text. Descriptions of weapons and tactics in the Book of Mormon are definitely ancient. Furthermore, the warfare in the Book of Mormon differs from what we read about in the Bible. It differs in the same way that war in ancient Mesoamerica, Mexico and northern Central America, differed from biblical warfare. Warfare has long played a basic role in history. The threat of war helped to develop central governments and civilization. Conquest often resulted in the movement of culture and religion from one area to another. The spread of the world's great religions, especially Christianity and Islam, was in part based on conquest. Much of the great writing of the past was on military themes. The transport of diseases, plants, and animals to new regions, as well as human migrations, were closely connected with military activity. The expansion and control of trade routes was as much a military as an economic matter. Thus, warfare has always been a major concern of leaders. In ancient times, they considered wars inevitable. So, the way they prepared to fight helped determine how their societies were organized. Often, rulers could maintain their power only by using force against their own subjects. Reliance on armies led to huge empires, policed mainly through the use of soldiers. Among them were the most famous nations of the past, the Assyrians, Persians, Mauryans of India, Ch'in and Han dynasties of China, and the domain of Alexander the Great and Rome. Most economic surplus was used by ancient rulers to maintain the military. The values of many ancient peoples glorified military action and heroism, creating a widespread martial mentality. The spoils of war were a major source of prosperity for a victorious state. What we see today as the great cultural achievements of ancient civilizations were, for the most part, built on plunder, blood, and ruins. The warfare described in the Book of Mormon fits this general pattern. Apart from a remarkable period following Christ's visit to the Nephites, warfare was nearly constant in the records of the Nephites and Jaredites. The writers of the Book of Mormon took war and its results seriously, and finally the Nephite civilization was destroyed by war. Mormon devoted about one-third of his abridgment and all of his own book directly or indirectly to military matters. In its emphasis on warfare, the Book of Mormon accurately reflects the grim reality of early history. Of course, many features of pre-modern warfare were still present in Joseph Smith's day, but there were vital differences. A basic change in the nature of war occurred when gunpowder weapons became effective, beginning in the 14th century. Joseph Smith published the Book of Mormon after the rise of gunpowder weapons and after the war tactics devised by Napoleon. Joseph Smith thus lived in an age when the practice of warfare differed from that in pre-gunpowder times. If he had written the Book of Mormon himself, 
what he would have said about battles would be quite different than what was the practice centuries earlier. I will examine six subjects having to do with war, where the Book of Mormon reports warfare in ways typical of the ancient Near East, and in many cases, Mesoamerica. Agriculture and Ecology Ancient warfare was limited by agriculture. Men were needed to plant and harvest, yet the same men also had to serve as soldiers. So mass armies could be maintained only a few months a year when farming permitted it. Neither were armies equipped to operate in all weather conditions. Only certain months of the year permitted them to move, camp, and fight in the field. When we come to the time of Napoleon, however, production had improved to the point that warfare was no longer dependent on harvest times. Many men could be used as soldiers, and armies could be maintained through all seasons. John Sorensen has shown that the old-style environmental limits are reflected in the descriptions of warfare in the Book of Mormon, and that they also match the seasonal conditions that existed in Mesoamerica. See, for example, his article in this volume. The Book of Mormon parallels ancient warfare in the areas of ecology and agriculture. It talks of battles limited by farming and harvests, and war operations affected by weather. Weapons and Military Technology Another important element in pre-modern warfare was technology. Despite vast differences in detail, all pre-modern soldiers fought with roughly similar weapons. Face-to-face, personal combat was standard. Hence, swords and other handheld weapons were key, and armor was common. Missiles, like arrows, javelins, and spears, were all propelled by muscle power in some way. Since improvements in materials for weapons and armor always made a great impact on combat, leaders were constantly searching for new developments. But with the rise of long-range gunpowder weapons, guns replaced swords, spears, and arrows, and armor, too, was discarded. The weapons, tactics, and military operations in the Book of Mormon fit this ancient pattern. The Book of Mormon provides a great deal of detail on military technology. As I have explored this area in several articles, I have found weapons and armor in the Book of Mormon to be consistent with patterns in the ancient Near East and Mesoamerica. Nothing in the Nephite record suggests that Joseph Smith could have invented such war stories based on how fighting was done in his time. Instead, Warfare in the Book of Mormon consistently sounds like that in Mesoamerica, before the European conquerors arrived. It differs from the ancient Near East in those features where Mesoamerican warfare differs from the ancient Near East. Coats of mail, helmets, battle chariots, cavalry and siege engines, elements prominent in Bible lands, are all absent from both the Book of Mormon and Mesoamerica. If Joseph Smith were copying from information and books available to him, like the Bible, Josephus's histories, or other books about the Romans that described ancient wars, he would have included those features. Instead, the Book of Mormon leaves out those features of armament frequently mentioned in biblical and classical sources, but absent from ancient Mesoamerica. Logistics Warfare, of course, did not involve only combat. In order for armies to compete, ancient societies needed basic resources. They had to obtain food to support the soldiers, cloth and leather for uniforms and armor, stone or metals to make weapons and armor, stone and lumber to build fortifications, and timber and other products to construct ships. They needed gold, silver, and other forms of wealth to purchase these supplies and to ensure officer and troop loyalty. Recruiting, equipping, training, supplying, and moving large groups of soldiers, servants, and animals 
were major undertakings anciently. As the story of Moroni and Pahoran illustrates, the cost of war put terrible social and economic pressure on Nephite society. Plundering was used to supply many ancient armies, and the Book of Mormon mentions it often. Warriors were generally organized into kinship or community units. The soldiers served under leaders who fought in battle and whom they knew personally. Units tended to be organized by tens, hundreds, and thousands, a fact reflected throughout the Book of Mormon. Pre-modern warfare also tended to rely on aristocratic officers. When gunpowder enabled commoners with only limited training to kill the most highly trained aristocrat, leadership shifted from the royalty. On the other hand, governments in Joseph Smith's time, in the 1820s, drafted all men. Soldiers were organized into large administrative units, not just into communal or local formations. Unit size varied greatly and was not based on multiples of a basic number. Noblemen as officers had also become outdated. The Book of Mormon armies followed the ancient pattern of armies organized along kinship, tribal and community lines, and with its hereditary leadership. The following features in the book also parallel ancient logistics. Loyalty based on community, social and economic problems affecting warfare, problems of supply, the importance of plunder, and the lack of use of animals for movement and supply. Descriptions of Battles Preparations for battle anciently were complex. Soldiers had to be trained, equipped, and organized into units for marching and fighting. Then they were mobilized at central points to begin operations. Leaders commonly used distinctive banners to summon and identify their troops, like Mormon's title of liberty. A wide range of camp followers were usually required to supply the troops with food and equipment. Barracks, arsenals, fortifications, and other base facilities needed to be prepared and maintained. Also, some type of standing army, usually royal guardsmen, was needed in peacetime. When war threatened, getting troops and supplies to key spots could involve extensive marching and maneuvering. Any reader of the Book of Mormon will recall the seemingly endless accounts of marches and countermarches. They may be boring to many, but they reflect the realities of maintaining ancient armies. Not all conflict involved formal set battles. Much of it was closer to what in modern times we call guerrilla war. This style of fighting is clearly described in the Book of Mormon, especially in the account of the Gadiant robbers. Actual battles took only a small part of the time of a campaign. But the battle was, of course, the most important moment. Battle plans were generally made shortly before meeting the enemy. Frequently, a council of officers and veterans would discuss the situation and offer suggestions, which is what Moroni does to prepare for battle. Information from spies was crucial to forming battle plans. Knowledge of the enemy sometimes depended solely upon reports from spies. The Book of Mormon, too, shows how crucial spying was in its battles. Battles often began with an exchange of missiles, stones, arrows, spears, to wound and demoralize the enemy. Only when the missiles were spent did the two sides close in for hand-to-hand -hand combat. The battle described in Alma chapter 49 describes such an archery duel preceding a hand-to-hand -hand melee. If panic began to spread in the ranks, a complete and sudden collapse could result. The death of the king or commander could lead to such a collapse, as happened in Alma chapter 49 verse 25. Most casualties occurred during the fight and pursuit after the main units had broken up. Battles in the Book of Mormon often ended with just such rout, 
fight, and destruction of an army. Laws of War Laws and customs in ancient societies often controlled international relations and diplomacy. Perhaps the custom that strikes modern readers as strangest is the use of personal oaths. The Book of Mormon's emphasis on oaths of loyalty from troops and oaths of surrender from prisoners shows ancient concepts at work. Once an oath had been made, it had all the power and more that a written contract would have among us today. The Book of Mormon also presents a complex pattern of international relations, treaties, and diplomacy consistent with ancient Near Eastern practices. Most ancient societies also treated robbers as brigands, not thieves, whereas thieves would be imprisoned or punished short of death. Robbers were usually tried as traitors or murderers and executed. So the treatment of robbers in the Book of Mormon reflects ancient law. Another parallel pattern involves prisoners. The taking of prisoners posed problems for ancient armies. Their maintenance depleted the already strained resources needed to support the army. So prisoners were frequently either killed or traded. The Lamanite practice of killing prisoners and the Nephite practice of exchanging them were consistent with the ancient milieu. The burial of the dead in the Book of Mormon also shows the problems and practices of past societies. One case in particular, the dead from Ammonihah were buried in shallow graves which caused the area to become desolate, mirrors what happened elsewhere in the past. Another ancient practice mentioned in the Book of Mormon concerns the capture and imprisonment of kings in Jaredite history. The treatment of captive kings is similar to that in Mesoamerican societies as old as the Jaredites. There is also the parallel of human sacrifice, which nations around Israel and in Mesoamerica practiced. Though strictly forbidden by the Mosaic Law, Israelites still fell into that practice several times during their history. The occasions of human sacrifice in the Book of Mormon echo an all-too-distressing pattern in the Near East and Mesoamerica. In the above-mentioned ways, the Book of Mormon faithfully reflects the ancient laws and customs that dictated what should or should not be done during war. Religion and Warfare Nearly all war was connected with religion and was carried out through a complex series of religious ritual, law, and benefits. Although there were also other motives, pre-modern warfare was basically a sacred matter. By Joseph Smith's day, war had become mainly secular, arising from political, nationalist, racial, and economic factors. The close connection between religious ideology and warfare is one of the most obvious ancient elements in the Book of Mormon. In numerous details, the Book of Mormon unintentionally reveals the close tie between war and religion. Activities such as consulting prophets before battle are mentioned in the Book of Mormon. Likewise, a strict purity code for warriors can be seen in the story of Helaman and the stripling warriors. Many details of the Mosaic Law concerning war are also apparent in the Book of Mormon. For instance, an example of the ritual destruction of apostate cities appears in the Book of Mormon. See Alma chapter 16. The ideology of holy war among the Nephites parallels that of the Israelites. The Nephites also seem to have observed the principles of camp purity and certain ritual behaviors before, during, and after battle. For the Nephites and the Lamanites, to a lesser but still crucial extent, warfare was a thoroughly religious matter. The Book of Mormon manifests clear parallels to ancient patterns of military behavior. I have not mentioned all of them in this review due to space limits. There were also the material implications of shifting populations, the exchange of written or oral challenges between leaders, and the centrality of war to the elite class of society, to name a few more areas. In so many ways, 
the Book of Mormon uniquely reflects its dual heritage of the ancient Near East and Mesoamerica. Thank you for listening to Warfare in the Book of Mormon by William J. Hamblin, published in 1991. This has been the Rare Possessions Podcast by Book of Mormon Central. Please stay subscribed to this podcast in iTunes or on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.